This is The Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Morning, everybody. This is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to The Wealth Standard Radio. This is uh, episode 123. And I'm here with a good friend of mine, Ryan Lee. Ryan, what's going on this morning? Hey, guys. Happy to be here with you today. Friday. I'm excited. <laughs> Got a good a good topic of conversation in front of us today. We have an int- interesting topic, an yeah. interesting topic. And we you know, we kind of had some back and forth this week uh, in the office about a, uh, a video and an article that was posted uh, in regards to insider trading with Congress. And so that's going to be uh, our topic for today. There's probably a ton of angles that we can take on this. I think we've dabbled on this. Uh, before, but uh, I think it's good to kind of get into the details of what this what this video represents, and we'll put it on the the show notes as well, so you guys can check out uh, the video itself on the wellstandard dot com and uh, just watch watch the video. But this is not the first time we've come across this, right? This is you know lo- looking at insider trading. I mean, insider trading has been going around going on for for how long? Years for decades, I mean, de- since centuries, the beginning. centuries, right? You go back even to the Rothschilds, right? right. And back. Back in the you know back in the day, people were manipulating markets, so nothing's nothing's changed, right? So so now with this video, like what was maybe some of the things that not maybe not surprised you, but just you know just things that you know you just didn't you didn't know before, but this kind of exposed to you. For me, I mean, when we watched the video on the blaze, it was it was really interesting to hear that Congress is involved integrally involved with the decision making of what happens that impacts the you know the financial markets mm-hmm. and because congress has some very unique and and really you could say insider information they're enabled to make decisions that the average person would not be able to make mm-hmm. and and so we're going to talk a little bit about what the what that information is and what kind of what kind of moves congress has made and is enabled to make but at the end of the day you know the average american is putting their money into the stock market to a to a, to accomplish a goal it's a financial goal of hopefully building up their nest egg to be able to retire one day right so we're going to talk about is that is that is that method is is the game rigged in their favor do they actually get what they're looking for in that in that type of a system yeah and the and the the idea behind what we're going to talk about today is is you know you could take either side right and you could look at uh, the insider trading idea and, you know, those that are able to front run the markets because they have information that you don't. But in, in the end, it's it's really what you said, right? The majority of people rely on the stock market uh, and even pension, big companies and pension funds uh, r- rely on the stock market for fair trade, right? Because it is essentially what is determining a future, you know, a, a future balance, a future return, Right, and these days, you know, and some of the things that you know, as we were preparing for this, uh, we were talking about where else do you put money, right? Because right now, if if the only two options were a bank or the stock market, which essentially it is, right, most people in banks you don't get anything, so people are kind of forced to put money into the stock market, and it creates just this massive liquidity, right, where so much money is is changing hands every single day based on information. Yeah. But in the end it's really, you know, the the people that have more information win. And those that are, you know, essentially putting into, you know, money into mutual funds and and uh just normal type of uh, no, investments that are held within, you know, IRA and 401k structures, you know, it, it's they don't they're not watching markets on a daily basis. They're not trading in and out. You know, they don't have that insight. They're relying on you know professionals to do it for them. You got it. I think the interesting thing about that is we we talk a lot about control based investments here, right? And there is no one else out there that's going to care more about the success of your financial plan if you're listening mm-hmm. than you. Mm-hmm. But yet we've been taught to go to school, 
get a job, go to work, and then take our savings and put it into some type of a system that we have very little control over and very little understanding of how it works. And then we kind of cross our fingers, close our eyes, stick our head in the sand, and just hope that at the end of the day, all of these myths and rumors and and hopes and dreams that that are perpetuated through the market come to fruition for us. Yeah, and it, it's kind of like, you know, you you have you have the idea behind, you know, just getting getting a job or having a profession or a vocation where you you have control over that, right? You have mm-hmm. control over what degree you get, you have control over your continuing education, you have control over certifications and skills that you obtain because that makes you more valuable to who you're, you know, who you're serving, who you're employed by. And and the more you know, the more value you can create, the more money you make, right? But then, you know, that control us being able to, you know, essentially control our professional destiny the, we, in a sense, kind of expect the same thing out of the professionals that are managing managing money, right? And I think that's kind of the 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 you know the conventional logic behind it, right? But then when you really peel be, peel those layers back, you see that you know that professional maybe isn't looking out for your best interests exclusively. Well, and the interesting thing about that is, what are your best interests, right? I mean, today we're put on these glide paths that, hey, I tell them how old I am, and so they tell me, okay, this is what you need to be invested what, what, on. How old you are? What's your risk tolerance? Exactly. And then they have like some, you know, you know. Most people don't even meet. They don't have a financial advisor. They yeah. they invest with T Rowe Price, so yeah. they invest with Fidelity or mm-hmm. Magellan, Inc., whoever it is, yeah. right? They they put their money in one of these accounts, and then you know computer based algorithms will say, okay, you need to be in this type of a of a mutual fund based on your age and your unique glide path. Yep. But there is no one on one interaction. There is no financial plan. It's yep. really just saying, hey, this is the bucket that you fit in, and so put your money here, yep. and then cross your fingers, and the market just does seven percent. So that's what you're going to get. Yep. And that's and we we talk about this for those of you who've been listening for a while. You know that this is kind of our rhetoric, but. But the idea behind the, the, what we're going to explain today, which is which is this video, just shows you that because of how big markets are and because of how liquid they are, there are there are groups out there that completely take advantage of information, right? And it's kind of the front running of information. And the front running means, you know, information. It's kind of like Walmart this week, you know, or this uh, past week, uh, you know, Walmart tanked, right? And it's kind of like what what happens when there's information like that, right? People say, okay, Walmart's not doing great. I'm selling. So what happens? The you know the the stock goes down in in value, right? But those that don't have that information, or maybe get it, you know, uh, three days later, or four days later, or five days later, right? It's too late by then. So you look at you know information; it's very profound as far as where where markets go. And as we get into you know Congress and and their uh, just the, the phenomenon. I don't know if it's a phenomenon. I mean, it, it if you're if it's you know, it's it's just the system, right? Where those that wanted to get into political power, um, you know, they're supposedly it's this, you know, social, uh, you know, this this social service that they that they do, right, to help serve their community or whatever. But why is it that those that go to Congress like become millionaires um, when they leave, right? And there's lots of evidence just based on the information that they do have there that allow them to front run markets and use their money and and essentially take advantage of of trends and take advantage of shifts because of that information and it's there's proof all over the place you just got to go on the internet yeah um and it's you know it's it's one of those things where do we is it wrong or is it is it right maybe we'll maybe we'll get that answer today i, I don't know but my in in the end it's you know you look at you and look you look at your investments and it all is based on what you said it's based on control but at the same time, when you start to peel back a lot of these layers, you realize that you have absolutely no control 
and most people don't when it comes to what's going on in, in normal investments. Well, and I think that's what causes so much anxiety. I mean, if you've got your money in the market, there is no doubt you're feeling anxious. We talk to people all day long that have put all of their hopes and dreams, they've pinned it on these accounts saying, one day I hope to be able to retire if XYZ happens. But because they have no control over what you know how that works and the information that's that's given to them, they, they don't really know if their account's going to be sufficient enough to accomplish their hopes and dreams. And so that naturally is going to bring in a level of, of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And not to say that the markets are bad. If you increase your education, if you find a way to have more control, to get more information flowing to you, mm -hmm. and there are services out there that will help provide that, yeah. then that's going to help give you a more probable outcome. Mm -hmm. But for the average investor that's just told to buy and hold, put mm -hmm. their money in a mutual fund and yeah. just wait it out, mm -hmm that is inevitably going to give you a, a position where you might reach your financial goals, mm -hmm. but you might not, but it's not in your control. Absolutely. And and the probability is very, very small. Yeah, and yeah, we can talk about probabilities and that's the sad thing. I mean, that's why so many Americans are finding themselves in the position that they're in today yep. is they've trusted this system for the last 15, 20, 30 years and now they're realizing it has not worked out as they thought it was. So let's let's kind of dive into some of the information with this with this video. And essentially what it does, it just it just calls out a few members of, of Congress. Uh, I know Boehner was in there. Nancy Pelosi was in there. And it basically says, you know, here's here are records that show that, you know, based on you know meetings that they have, because you got to remember that the major, a lot of times on, you know, it, when as Congress is meeting with people or politicians are meeting with people, you know, a large majority of those, maybe not majority, I have no idea, but it are, are uh, lobbyists, right? So a lobby is essentially a, pr a private group that is representing the interests, right, of a company mm -hmm. that relies on certain laws and certain. Uh, you know, other, other legislature uh, for their well-being, right? If it's an environmental law, that's going to affect you know oil and gas companies, right? If it's a financial law, it's going to affect banking and other financial institutions, right? If it's a healthcare law, it's going to affect uh, healthcare companies, mm -hmm. doctors and conglomerates and so forth. So they ha they hired these lobby groups to represent their interests. And these lobby groups go to and and speak with um, you know speak with this person, that person. Oftentimes, lobby groups write the actual laws themselves, mm -hmm. right? And so essentially these lobby groups, you know, influence Nancy Pelosi, influence this, they meet with Boehner, they, they meet with other members of Congress and they, and they basically are, are trying to get them to pass legislature, right? And once it starts to, to get the pass, you know, it, you're able to kind of predict what's going to happen to that company's stock or that industry or sector's stock, right? So my question to you is, is that fair? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, it depends on what angle you're taking at. I mean, it's a free market, and so people are going to do what's in their best interest, yeah. right? And a lobbyist is lobbying for an industry or a company, mm -hmm. and Congress is trying to, you know, balance a lot of interest, right? Yeah. There's no way one thing can solve everyone's, you know, needs and desires. Mm -hmm. So whether it's fair or not, I mean, I would just say, is it right mm -hmm. for you to have your money tied up in a place where? Fair or not, things happen that you have no control over, and the outcome of those things, right? These lobbyists and these these you know these yeah. the, what Congress does that affects you, and yeah. that affects your money, and it affects your future, and it affects your retirement, yeah. and yet you're pinning all of your hopes and dreams on stuff that we don't know anything about. Yeah. I don't know anything about these backroom meetings with lobbyists, and I could read about them on CNN. And, yeah. But is that really what's happening? And do I really have the no right way. information? <laughs> well, here's so here. And this was interesting. I, I would say, you know, fair. It, it it is. It really does depend. But I think if you create a standard, right, with with in that arena, in the political arena, you have to carry that standard across 
the entire spectrum, right? Yeah. So let me let me give you an example. So the, the you know chairman of the Federal Reserve, right? And also I can't remember what exactly which uh, positions, but I know the the Secretary of the Treasury. And I know specifically the Secretary of the Treasury because um, Hank Paulson. Right when he became when he went into that position, he he essentially had to sell all of his financial holdings. Right, right. But there's a caveat that basically says that you can you know those guys can sell their holdings, but because they're going to political office, they don't have to pay taxes on them. All. No taxes. Yeah. And so he you know the Goldman Sachs interest that he owned was like I can't remember how many you know million tens of millions it was, but he basically was able to sell at the top. <laughs> With, and, paid, and paid no tax, yeah. right? But anyway, so they're they're supposed to do that, and and you know the same thing with the, the chairman of the Federal Reserve. I'm not sure if the Board of Governors, I'll have to research that, but I'm not sure if the Board of Governors for the Federal Reserve has to has to sell their financial holdings. I'm assuming they do, but Congress doesn't. But, yeah, I and mean, that's what I'm trying to say is you have all these other people that influence, right? They have influence over financial markets. They don't want to create a conflict of interest, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of like if you're going to hold that standard to you know the Federal Reserve or the Treasury, if you're going to hold that standard there, then you're gonna have to hold that standard across the board, That's right? Because point. even though it's not 100% as direct, it's still Congress affects the well-being of companies, yeah. and the entire stock market is essentially companies, right? It's the valuation of companies traded back and forth on supposedly a free free market, but it's not free, right? Because if it was free, it was based everybody's trading off the same information, but they're not, right? And so you know, essentially with this video, you know, that back in 2011, you know, they tried to put a kibosh on it because. You not only had politicians, but you had their aides. You had people that would, you know, you had aides, you had interns, non-paid internships. They would come, you know, and be, you know, essentially a, a part of, um, you know, part of a, a politician's life for a summer or or a semester or whatever. And and they got, you know, they were doing insider trade, and they would get out of meetings and go, you know, right to their E-Trade or Ameritrade account, and then and and trade, yeah. right. And so there's there's a they they started to put down this. Uh, they, they created the Stock Act, and I can't remember the two the two uh, uh, guys that that that, uh, that created the law, created the bill. Um, but they had to create the Stock Act, and and you know I think Obama put out this press release, and everybody was excited about it, you know, and that was you know 2011 I think, and then uh, and then 2013 they changed they changed it all. <laughs> there was no press about hardly any press about that, right? But there was press about um, you know up the wazoo in 2011 when they actually passed it. So anyway, it's it still goes on today. Right. And this video is an indication of that. And my thing is, you know, it, it, fair or not fair, right? Just, just look at it. And it's kind of like, you know, who, who is the, who are the ones that are, are benefiting? Who are the ones that are suffering? Right. Because in the market, it's a zero sum game, mm-hmm. right? Winners and losers. So when someone wins, the other person loses. So you look at, you know, this, this insider trading idea and these guys are winning. They're becoming millionaires, becoming super successful off of front running the information. Okay, but looking at you know looking at the average individual, the price that they pay, uh, it is significant. And you and I came up with an analogy. Why don't you explain the the analogy or the metaphor uh, in regards to um, you know just the average American and how they get taken taken advantage of and ultimately eat last? Yeah. So yeah, and this is a, this is a funny analogy, but let's say you wanted to host a dinner, right? Host and provide a dinner for all of your closest friends and family. I would say a banquet. A I would banquet, say yeah. I would say like the the you know the Cinderella freaking ball, like right. the banquet, right? A nice meal, nice you know gowns and yeah. and tuxedos and all that kind Horse of stuff. Horse and carriage. Right? You're the one putting all of the money and effort into this, yeah. right? So you put it all together, right? You put all the money into it. You hire a caterer, 
right? Because this caterer is going to bring their expertise to the table and, and you know, be able to provide the meal and, and the courses and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And so you put a lot of trust in this caterer mm-hmm. that this caterer is going to enact your wishes and desires. Yep. But you're front loading it and you're funding it. And all of the success of this is all going to depend right. on what this caterer does. Yep. You show up to the dinner, right? You're, 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 it's at a beautiful banquet hall. And right as you show up and get all excited well, I, in your I dress. Would say, I would say you, you show up in like your Ford Fiat. Yeah, that's true. Everybody you else show, gets like limos. That's true. Right? You show they up in get your like, Ford Fiat. They get like Bentleys and Rolls Royces. And you show up in like your handcart. Yeah, right? yeah. You show up in a handcart. Because you're showing up, I mean, with what you have to offer. And you've put so much of your money into this banquet, right? It's really an, an, an action yeah. of what you what you want to have happen, yeah. right? And so all these fancy people are there, dressed fancy in their yeah. limos. Yeah. And you look in the window and you can see everyone eating this beautiful feast and yeah. you're excited to go in because yeah. you're the you're the one that provided this whole ball yeah. and banquet for everyone. Yeah. And right as you're about to walk in, the maitre d' says, hey, this dinner is not for you. In fact, you're going to have to go in the back and wait for the scraps. And once everyone else has finished the dinner, whatever's left over, we'll bring that to you. Exactly. How do you feel at that point? And, it, and I think you have to be fair. Like you have to say you contributed like I would 99%, right? They contribute maybe 1%. Right. But the American public, you know, you, you specifically con- contributed 99% of that. Right. And you get all the scraps. Yeah. So that's the idea. I mean, that's what the market's become. Well, right? because think about it. I mean, if you compare it to a financial plan, that's what you do. You put all of your time, effort and energy into working and creating an income and you pin all of your hopes and dreams on where that money is going to go. You then transfer that money to some financial advisor, whether yeah. that's an individual or a company or a glide path yeah. based on your age, whatever it yeah. is, your money's in this account. And that represents everything that you are working for today. I mean, really, that's why yeah. we go to work today is one day we want to be able to retire. We've got to yeah. support our family today, yeah. but we're pinning all of our well, future what, hopes that, and dreams. That's there. what we're told. That's right? what we're told. That's, that's what we're, we're, we're painted this picture. Right. Every, you know, every open enrollment, like some guy gets up on stage and just, you know, he, he spits off, Hey, how amazing it's going to be in your golden years in retirement. So let's, let's follow the timeline. Right. So first you get up every morning, you know, seven, seven o'clock, maybe six, maybe earlier. Right. And you, and you show up and you work entire eight hours, right. Or nine hours or, or more. Right. So how much of your paycheck goes to, to taxes? Right, you got seven and a half percent that goes to Social Security. Your employer has to pay seven, or not just Social Security, but FICA. Yeah, your employer has to pay another seven and a half percent. So right? first, 15. which which could have been yours, right? But it's going to your Social Security, can being contributed for you, but really being contributed to the people that are already in the system. Okay, but then what happens after that? Now you get state tax, right? Then you have income tax, right? Then you have a bunch of other you know things taken out. Your medical, you know, your health care, your medical, and then you have your four hundred one k contribution taken out. So you wind up with like 40% of your paycheck, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the day. Which goes to paying mortgages and car loans. Yeah. Then you got to go loans. pay the bank, yeah. right? Then you go pay your credit cards, pay the car loan, right? And then, you know, student student loans, anything else that you have, right? right? And then what's left over, right? Maybe 20%, 10, you know, 15%, right? So who gets all the money first, Right. Government gets it. Mm-hmm. FICA. Mm-hmm. The state gets it. Taxes. Well, before it ever comes to you. I mean, that's whisked right no, off the yeah, top. No, you don't even get it. You don't even see yeah. it. Right. It shows up on a statement yep. and it makes you feel good because there's maybe a large number there. Oh, right? I don't know if that makes you feel good. That makes you kind of well, go to the show, bathroom. I guess it makes you feel, you know, it makes you feel better than, you know, it not being on there. Yeah. But you see that. Like, oh, yeah, I'm making a decent amount of money. But you don't wind up with anything. Yeah. Right. So you give all the money to them. Right. And what do they do with it? Right. Let's let's take Social Security. Right. Look at the Social Security. Just go go to usdebtclock.org. Right. And look at what Social Security has become. Google. Just Google 
more money coming out of social security than going in mm-hmm. and see if that, you know, see if that's going to play out well, right? Then go to US debt clock and just see the trillions of dollars, right, of promised benefits. Well, we're up against another debt ceiling, right? I mean, in uh, yeah. November, what, second week of November, yep. that we're already up against another debt ceiling for the yep. third or fourth We've time. We've already this year. spent 18 trillion dollars more than we, you know, more Take than in. we've ma- taken in. So why not? You know what? Yeah, we'll sure. Keep sure. So, so keep spending more, yeah. right? All right. So then you, you know, you put money into social security system and you pay Medicare tax and then you go and, uh, you know, it's, it goes to the, the tax, you know, it goes to the IRS and then it goes to, um, you know, it goes to the state, right? Then your 401k contribution. So your 401k contribution, right? It goes to, you know, a money, money manager, mu- mm-hmm. mutual funds, right? And do they wait until they're 60 years old to use any of that money? No, they get to take their, their share right off the top, win, lose, or draw within whatever they put you into. They're, yeah. they're making their money right off the yeah. top. And you, and you, you know, you, you, you don't have to pay taxes on that, right? Well, and, not and, today. Yeah. And I'm all, we'll, we'll get to uh-huh. like what happens on, right? You know, so you don't have to pay taxes on it today. So yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of a benefit, but do you get to use any of the money? No, it goes to them. They get to use it. They get to skim a fee here and skim a fee there. And, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, the, the disclosures that they have to give you because some fees they disclose and some fees they don't. But anyway, it, go, it goes into this like black box and this, you know, ultimately a black hole. And, and what does it do? It, it supposedly will grow over time, right? And it'll earn interest in the markets and and whatever. So then, you know, you you reach 60 and what's what's happened? That's what, what part of the timeline are we talking about now? Basically, the money that you put in, right, you don't have to pay any taxes on, right? Uh, but because of inflation, right, because the Federal Reserve has, based, has said that our goal is to have inflation every single year. We want growth, right, which means that your money is going to buy less. So by the time you're 60 years old, you look at the balance that you have and, you know, it might be big in terms of like 2015, but it's What's 50, the- 50, 60% less as far as what it will, what it will right. buy. What's the purchasing power, right. right? And then between now and then, the government gets to choose the tax rate at which you take it out at, right? Well, who knows what that's going to be? So is anything, any of this make, and then and then obviously you have Congress, right? That's able to, you know, use the liquidity that's created by Americans putting money into the market. They're able to do all these types of trades and make themselves, I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it makes you step back and say, like what the what the heck's going on here? I mean, <laughs> like, you're the one that just, you're the one that just showed up to the party that you funded, yeah. that you planned, that you organized, essentially that you paid for, yeah. and you get and whatever's you, and left you have over. Zero fun, yeah, zero fun. Yeah. All the fun is for somebody else. Yep. And that that's I mean that's retirement. And that's the system that we have, right? And I think what what we try to bring to the table is education on this because we want to bring order to the chaos. Mm-hmm. That was a very chaotic yeah. situation that you just described. My yeah. head hurts. Yeah. But that's where most Americans are. Most Americans are stuck in a system either by default because they don't know that there is anything else out there mm-hmm. or by choice because they have been blindly taught by the very institution that's taking their money that this is the best way and the only way to go. Yep. So we try to bring obviously a contrarian viewpoint to that and show people we want to organize the chaos. We want to make it simple and easy. Savings is not that hard. But it does come back to you having control yep. and putting your money in a position that you know exactly what you have. You know exactly what's going on. It's there is no insider trading, and that you. <laughs> I mean, we can put you in a position where you you control the outcome. And that's, you know, and, and it's interesting. You know, I, I you look at just. I, I think the matrix is a really good, you know, really good analogy, 
Uh, it's I don't know about you know the, the other Matrix like you know what came out you know, Matrix two and three came over. It's like Matrix Reloaded or yeah. Matrix Revolut whatever. But the first one was the most profound, right? Because there was a lot of uh, a lot of parallel to our lives sometimes, mm-hmm. right? And you look at you know how the computer in the Matrix was uh, was powered. Right, and it was just by the bodies of people that sat in that, you know, pink goo. Mm-hmm. Right, and it kind of feels that way. Right, the American public is the one that is essentially the battery power behind the entire system. Right, but yet we're the ones that are completely shut shut off. Well, and in in the Matrix, I love this part in the Matrix in that first movie. You know, uh, what's his name, Neo, just figures out that there's an issue. There's right? something wrong. There's something wrong. And Morpheus comes to him. Morpheus is the one that's kind of exposed this issue to Neo. And he says something to the effect that like a splinter in your mind, you have always known that there was a problem. You couldn't identify it. You couldn't articulate it. You couldn't put your finger on it. But in the back of your mind, you knew that there was something wrong. And I think we all feel that. I mean, it's impossible to turn on the news, to turn on the Internet, to do anything without getting all of this noise in the background that's saying, hey, the market's going to crash. Look what's happening in China. Look what's happening to the federal government. On and on and on. And all of that affects me. Yeah. But I don't control it. Yep. And it's in the parallel is, you know, he's given the he's given the choice. Yeah. Right. And the choice is he can continue to live a life in ignorance. Yeah. Well, no, he won't be in ignorance. Oh, he's that's right. He choose. took the pill and he's gonna wake up and then forget everything. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Yeah. And so I mean, now you know, do you, you want to choose can, to go back yeah. to you can't I mean you And can't you can't know. wake up. Yeah. You you can't just take, you know, the blue pill yeah. and uh and not and not wake up. Yeah. Right. It's not gonna happen. You you already know. If you're listening to this, you know something's wrong. Right. So you're going to choose to take, you know, the red pill or the blue pill. Yeah. Right. And really all you have to do is take, you know, you choose to take the red pill or nothing. Right. And stay the way that you are right now and just hope. And hope is one of those things. I mean, there's, there's certain things to have hope about in life. Right. But when you hope for things that you, that you have control over, right, there's something wrong. Yeah. Right. Because when you have control over it, that's when you don't have to hope. That's when you create. That's when you can create. That's when you can make changes. Yeah. That's when you can take action. And when you do that, things will change. And I think a lot of, there's been a lot of, a lot, this news is really helpful. And it's good that you have media outlets that are, are unconventional against the grain. Uh, not to say that they're good or bad or right or wrong, right? It's, it just shows that uh, you know, up against mainstream media, there has to be uh, something that tempers it. Right. There has to be the other side. And so you need to look at the other side because look at the other side of information is going to allow you to make the best decision for yourself. Because not everything that you're that we are being told is accurate. You really think we turn on ABC or NBC and, you know, everything is 100 percent truth. Right. Or everything is 100 percent clear. I don't know. Maybe some maybe some of it is. But I don't know if you've ever watched the the Conan O'Brien uh, you know, when, when he goes and he has those, you know, little parodies about all the media outlets saying the exact same thing, like a hundred times. Right. And I know John, John Stewart on the daily show used to do that as well. He would just play the same media clip from like a hundred different media outlets, same exact clip over and over and over and over and over. What does that make you think? What, what, why, why is that? Right? If everyone's saying that, it must it, be true. Yeah. Well, also, it's kind of like, what is the, where is the initial feed coming from, right? And why is everybody saying it? And why does everybody get that? <laughs> well, who owns the, who owns these, know. you know, news companies and these well, media companies it's a, in general? No, that's that's the same thing. Is why? How do media companies make money? Yeah. Right. It's by advertising. And right. who are their advertisers? 
right? Oftentimes it's financial services, it's bank, banks and Wall Street, yeah, right? And you know, if, if banks, if if suddenly like ABC was like, you know, they they published something super con- contrarian, right? And it was. You know, it was against mutual funds. It was again that this, these are, you know, look at what these managers are doing and they're getting, you know, they're doing this and this. And would the, would the financial service company, would they pay for advertising anymore? Hold on. (laughs) Going somewhere where it's supported. Probably not. So so the thing is, is yeah, these days it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to see just kind of where, where we're going as a society. Uh, But I think the tides are turning. Right. I think people are, are starting to, to wake up. I, I, I wouldn't say it's the majority, but I say I think a lot of people are realizing that there's something wrong and they're yeah. wanting to do something about it. And there are a lot of ways to do that. I mean, I think the, the Internet these days, we, we live in, in such an abundance of information, right, an abundance of education. Because as you said just a moment ago, you know, it's not that the markets are right or wrong, good or bad. Right, they just are how they are. And the more education you have, the more control you're going to have. Right, but looking at education coming from you know normal societal influence, it's it's you know it's uh, I don't think it's in our favor, and the evidence is definitely out there for that. It's overwhelming. I mean, I, I was reading a study uh, put out by Dalbar, right? And Dalbar they measure actual investor returns, so the ad, the individual what they get in a given market based on you know all of the factors that go into what a net rate of return is to them. Mm-hmm. So you know, market volatility, average rate of return, fees that are paid on their account. They really look at what the net effect is. What's the money in the investor's pocket? And in 2014, they published their study over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Can't remember exactly, but if you were if you were you know allocated in the S and P, mm-hmm. the S and P had an average rate of return of 9.2 mm-hmm. percent. If we stopped our analysis right there and said, "Hey, I'm putting my money in the S and P 500, get nine percent. I, I can turn off my mind and put my money in there, and at mm-hmm. 65, it's all going to work out." So if that's where we stopped our analysis, that's kind of that's where, and that's where a lot of people do stop, unfortunately. But so then they they looked at what the net effect is to the average investor after fees, after market volatility, after the emotional side of buying high and selling low and doing you know the things that we do because we're humans. Mm-hmm. The average investor they got something like two point three. It's actually percent. gone. It's actually gone up. In two thousand and twelve, oh, it was like two 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 to three. But in two thousand fifteen, it was uh, right around five. So it's gone up. Okay, that's before taxes. Before taxes. Okay. Yeah, I have to look at the one I was reading. Yeah, new, I, I was surprised. I was surprised too that it was that that it was that high, right? But even, I mean, that's that's a, going from nine to to five. Vastly different, right? It's a huge, and that, di- that makes yeah. a big. I mean, that's that's a that's a huge difference. If you think you're going to have a million dollars, now all of a sudden you have five hundred thousand dollars based on what you thought you might get and what you actually got. And here's the thing: if you you pay taxes, right, then you factor in inflation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you don't have anything. It's rot with problems all the way through. You have zero, right? You factor it. You factor in taxes. You factor in inflation. You have zero. Yeah. So anyway, all right. We we've talked about these subjects quite a bit. We'll we'll continue to do it. I mean, it's uh, it's something that we're passionate about. Just because all of the, I mean, we've done a, a, a hundred some odd podcasts, and we talk a lot about a lot of the same things over and over and different you know, examples like the one we're talking about today that we'll post on uh, the wealthstandard.com uh, which is essentially the references to the articles and videos that we're that we're talking about um, and we're going to continue to do it just because the mainstream that's out there continues to say the same thing over and over and over and over and uh, there has to be kind of a voice of a reason and there's a lot that are coming out uh, there's a lot of other podcasts there's a lot of other you know the people that are really 
you know, they, they get to the point where they want to express themselves and they start to blog, they start to create a podcast, they start to do something about that. Uh, and that's, that's, what's exciting is that I think, you know, a lot of these contrarian voices will just allow individuals to see that it is possible to change Mm -hmm. and it is possible to get education around having financial success without having to go through the rigmarole of what the average person is going through. Well, and I think that's the exciting thing about, you know, this influx of information coming out. Now it gives people an opportunity to realize you don't have to choose from the same standard standard menu of you know options that are available to you. It's not this mutual fund or that mutual fund. There are other things that are completely outside mm-hmm. of the main street system that will deliver completely different types of results and are set up on completely different types of systems and, and you know control factors and all of that. And that's really what it's all about is mm-hmm. looking at what the options are for you, what you're trying to accomplish, and then allocating your money in a position that you have a higher probability of a successful outcome or a positive outcome. You know what you have, you know what it's doing for you, and then you can make real actionable plans to say, if I do X, Y, Z, this is the probable outcome, as Mm -hmm. opposed to crossing your fingers and saying, I'm going to put my money there and hope that, you know, Congress and that inflation and that taxes and da-da-da, everything works out for me that I get what I... I've always wanted. Yeah. So let me let me put. We have we still have about uh, 10, 10, 15 minutes left. Uh, let's let's give a solution, right? And because obviously we always put put here's the problem and here's some issues mm-hmm. and et cetera. So let, let's give a solution. I don't even want to talk a solution that 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 we actually do directly. It's more indirect. And I'm going to use just a book that I've been that I've been reading recently um, called Mastery. By uh, by Robert Greene, and what it does is it talks about is that is that cool? I, I know I'm shifting directions on you pretty yeah, quickly, yeah, for sure. But um, but the this idea, you know, what, what Robert Greene started to say or was pushing through his book is is just really looking at all the different masters of of the past, right? Whether it's Einstein, uh, whether it's uh, Mozart, uh, or you know, he lists all sorts of different examples, uh, sci- scientists, artists. Um, etc. And he he basically he basically says that you know the the human the human being right each human being is unique right we're a unique being in the world we're a unique organism right nothing is one hundred percent like we there's nobody else that's one hundred percent like we are and so that being the case he basically makes makes the case that everybody has a unique purpose and a unique drive and if you don't figure out that unique purpose or that unique drive and spend the majority of your time doing that, you're going to hit brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. So as he goes through, he kind of talks about, you know, finding, you know, in an apprenticeship role, finding what you want to do, finding what you're good at, finding what you would do without regards to money. And the more you focus on that, right, the more you're going to be happy and the more successful you're going to be as a person. And so my, so how I've taken this is, you know, essentially we are where we are right now, right? We can't just suddenly shift gears and become a master, shift gears and figure out, you know, what our, you know, what our unique uh, drive and what our unique talent is that we could. And so, because most people don't, don't know what it is. And so, so my, my, you know, conclusion was, you know, what if individuals took their 401k contribution, right? Which right now it's, it's the high, at the height, it's 18, uh, $18,000 per year. Right. And, and you spent that money, right. You spent that money in some sort of personal development, right. You went and, and, uh, did a course on communication or did a course on marketing. Uh, and there's so many, I mean, 18,000 bucks, dude, you can get like a whole like Harvard education online in regards to those, those type of skills, like communication and, and uh, uh, management, um, or, 
you know, technology. I mean, there's so many different things that are on there. But if you did that, right, what is the probability if you went out and you took courses and you spent that time developing yourself? What are the chances that you would get a raise? What are the chances that you would be more valuable to your employer? Right? What are the chances that you'd be able to go out and maybe start a little side business, an internet site or a blog and do a membership, right? Or do a podcast. And I mean, the idea is how, what could you, what could you do if you would take the time, invest in a course, invest in yourself, read a book, go to a mastermind group, do whatever so that suddenly you're a more valuable person. And now that you're a more valuable person, you can take those skills to your job. You can take those skills to a side business or a second job. And what are the chances you're going to make more money? Huge. And if we look at really what money is, money is nothing more than a symbol to symbolize value. Mm -hmm. It has no intrinsic value in and of itself. But when I go to the store and I say, hey, I want to buy that book or I want to buy this shirt, I'm willing to exchange my dollar, which was created from the value that I've created in my career, for the value that I perceive in that item that I want to buy. Which is more than your money. Which is more than the money. So. If, if we look at money as a symbol of value, if you create your skills and expertise, number one, one thing it's going to do for you is it's going to shift you from a position of survival, right? Many people, and this is widely documented as well, don't like what they do. They're doing it out of the necessity to earn money to put food on the table at the end of the day, right? Yep. So if you shift from that perspective to say, okay, I'm going to develop myself. I'm going to find out what my unique skills and abilities are, and I'm going to bring them to the marketplace because I guarantee you your unique skills and abilities fulfill a void in someone else's life. Absolutely. And money is the value to, to, to or money is the- To the, quantify it. Quantify that yeah. to, to show that, that, that exchange of value there. So you, that's where you're going to get the best rate of return yeah. for your time yeah. and for your efforts is by finding out what your unique opportunity is, your unique yeah. value is, and then bringing it to the market. Yeah, and it's profound because, you know, I think we all have those like our, our you know, an- ancestors and our, our genetic makeup of hunter-gatherer, right? We're, we're used to like defending ourselves against like the woolly mammoth or whatever, right? <laughs> it's like we're, that, that's the, it is, it's, it's, the sur- it's the survival instincts that we have. And we, when we get into this having to do this and having to do that, you don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. But why do people feel like they do? Because it's survival, right? And that's the first rung of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Is figuring out your basic needs. Yeah. But at the same time, once you get above that rung, it doesn't mean you forget about those needs. That though they're still there. And we always have this fear in the back of our mind, which is, you know, I'm not gonna be able to provide for my kids. I'm not gonna be able to have, you know, pay my mortgage, or I'm not gonna be able to you know pay for clothes or for food. We always have those ideas in the back of our mind and it holds us back. Yeah. Right. But if you really start to figure out who you are and what you can bring to the world, you're right. There is it's an infinite infinite possibilities, right? And looking at the money that you're putting away and giving to somebody else every single year, and you're never going to be able to use it until well into the future where it's worth nothing. It's going to get taxed at who knows what and really not going to do anything that you thought it was going to do. You can use that money right now. You can use that money to invest in yourself. You can make yourself more valuable. You can get certified. You can figure this out or that out and spend that money. You're going to become a more educated and a more valuable person. And if you increase your income by five grand that year or 7,500 or 10,000, you spend 10,000, it's a 100% rate of return. But that rate of return is exercised in year one and it never goes away because that skill never goes away. Yeah. And think about it this way. I mean, the whole reason that we're shifting our money into these markets and these plans is one day we want to retire. And the only reason we want to retire is we don't like what we're doing. If you shift that game around, retirement now becomes obsolete almost, right? If you're if you're working in your passion, it's going to add more value 
to your life as well. It's going to invigorate you. It's going to excite you. We're here for a purpose. And retirement, I mean, just the, the thought of retirement, that's exact opposite for what humans are, are designed to do. We're designed to be here to be productive and active and to, to give value to other people. And mm-hmm. retirement in its general rule is you know, laying on a hammock and golfing, that 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 can only be done for so long. And not that you don't want to enjoy life. You do want to enjoy life and, and kind of take some of the pleasures that come with life. But if you're if you're exercising your human life value, your unique skills and abilities, that's going to further extend your life. And retirement really becomes obsolete. Yep. If you're doing what you love in the service of other people and getting compensated for that, mm-hmm. I mean, what what does the future look like now? And that's and as we as we kind of end this, you know, it's it's one of those things where I, I wouldn't, I I don't want you to feel because I, do I know one hundred percent what my calling is? No, but I know it's there, right? And I know that I'm kind of on that path. But looking at, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to pursue it, and there's most likely gonna be monetary gain from it. If you're listening to this, and it's like I don't know what the heck I'm gonna do, and and yeah, I I want to retire so I can be you know go be a humanitarian, right? So I can do, go serve in this capacity or that capacity, and maybe not get paid. But here's the deal: at the end, and that's great because going into retirement and doing nothing, just being leisurely, it's gonna kill you. I mean, there's studies that show that you know once a person does retire, it's it's over. Right, because they don't feel as productive as they once were in their, you know, employment phase. So again, as you said, it's like people like to retire because they hate what they're doing. They don't like what they're doing. So what I would say to you is that if you do know what you're going to do in retirement, and it's going to be productive, you're not going to sit on your hands, right, and and play golf and drink margaritas, right, it or iced tea. My I just remember my grandparents always. (laughs) <laughs> they're on the ice anyway. So it's, but, but the, uh, the idea is, you know, you're going to be productive. You're going to do volunteer work. You're going to work for your church or work for your alma mater or work for, you know, the, what, wh- whatever capacity, in whatever capacity, uh, looking at what we're trying to say right now is you can accelerate that, right. By making yourself more valuable, maybe to a job that it's mediocre to you. It's, it's okay. Right. And you want to do it because if you do it, then you're going to be able to do what you love in retirement. Right. That I, I can, I can see that balance. So my point is you can use money to essentially expedite that and accelerate that by becoming more ba- more valuable right now and making more money right now. Cause there's money out there, right? There is trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars circulating. Right. And that's what the government essentially is trying to do. And they've done a his poor job doing it, but that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to stimulate, trying to get jobs, trying to you know make it more. That's why they're uh, holding interest rates down. They yeah, want you to borrow. They, money they want and spend you. To, money. They want you to borrow and, and yeah. spend, right? But you can borrow and invest, invest in yourself, yeah. or just reallocate money from Wall Street into you know your bank account, so that you can essentially put that into things that are going to make you more valuable. Yeah. And doing that, you're going to learn skills. You're going to feel feel better. You're going right? to fulfill the purpose of your life. You're going to fulfill productivity because yeah. you start, you get to this arrival point and you think it, you're, you've arrived somewhere and that's it for the rest of your career, right? That is the, one of the biggest fallacies that's out there. There's always something that you can do. There's always a way that you can improve. There's always a way that you can make yourself more valuable to other people. I love it. I mean, and that, that's a great way to tangent off of, you know, Wall Street because investing in you, there's no other, there's no better investment out there. And the, the results are unquantifiable, right? I mean, if we look at the market and say you get 9%, awesome. Maybe you do get 9%. But what if you put it in yourself yeah. and you cannot quantify yeah. those results? Yeah. What are you giving up? <laughs> what are you giving up to get it? That's a good point. You get 9 to 10%, but what are, you, what are you giving up? What's standing in the way of most people's financial goals is that little thing that they call their retirement plan. It's yeah. where their money is being funneled 
that's sitting there for some future purpose. Yeah. You know, there, there's many different ways to look at this, but invest in things that bring value to your life. Invest in things that give you control. You know, exercise your education so you know what you're investing in and so you know what the probable outcome is. Just be more open to this. I mean, be more, it's not, it does not have to be the standard menu, menu of options that have been forced down our throat for mm-hmm. so many years now that are not working for the average American. Well said. All right, everyone. Thanks. Uh, thanks for listening today. It's been uh, an interesting one. We'll put we'll put a lot of those uh, those links we talked about earlier in the program uh, on our uh, uh, on our website, thewellstandard.com. And uh, thanks again for listening. We'll uh, talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial, with your host Patrick Donahoe. 